Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Thank you, Jesus. God is worthy of all of my praise. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. It is a privilege and honor, blessing for us to be here. Peace Tabernacle today. We are so very thankful to be able to be here with you, with our good friends uh, that we love so very much, Brother and Sister Grant. It's a privilege and a joy to be with them, to get to spend time with them, and to be in the house of the Lord with God's people. Such an honor and a joy. Amen. And yes, Brother Grant, I do remember when Sister Moody and I first got married and how very rich we were. Amen. We, uh, we lived in our little 600-square-foot apartment. Amen. And I would go to Bible school in the mornings, come home, eat lunch, change clothes, and go to work. And typically, my lunch consisted of daily, I'm talking about a ham sandwich and some potato chips, and I could pretty much look forward at night to either hamburger helper or ramen noodles. We were so rich. We were so rich. But God has been good. God is blessed, and amen. Every now and then, now we get to eat Spam or some upgrade like that. No, I'm, God's been good. Amen. Are you thankful to be in the house of the Lord? Has God been good to anybody? Just wave your hand like that. Amen. God has been so very good. It's good for us to be be thankful. Remember the story about a, a poor man that came into his pastor one day and he complained that life was just absolutely unbearable. His pastor asked him to explain. He said, well, there's nine of us living in this one little small room. It's crowded. It's just unbearable. I don't know if I can take it or make it. pastor said, well, I can help you. He said, okay. He said, do you have a goat? He said, I have a goat. He said, move the goat in the house with you. He was a little perplexed, but he was obedient to his pastor. He went home, and he moved the goat into that one room with the other nine. The next Sunday, he came back to church, and, boy, he made a beeline to the pastor. He said, Pastor, I'm here to tell you, I just thought it was unbearable before. It's bad. It's horrible. The goat stinks. He's nasty. stomps all over everything. The pastor said, okay, move the goat out. He went home and moved the goat out. Next Sunday, he came back to church, big smile on his face. He went to pastor. He said, Pastor, life is wonderful. It's just the nine of us in that room now. Amen. A little bending of perspective sometimes changes our thoughts and minds and helps us to see how really God good is. It's, it's typically not ever as bad as we imagine that it is. And we always have that one special ingredient of our faith that we add into the mix that says no matter how bad it is right now, there's always hope. I've always got the hand of Jesus to hold on to. Amen, amen, amen. One pastor was known for his uplifting, encouraging prayers in the pulpit. He always found something good to say and something to be grateful for. One Sunday he showed up to church and it was bad. It was very bad. He had just 
received some bad news before he came into the building. The weather was bad. The attendance was bad. Somebody said, my, my. I wonder if he's going to be able to find something to be thankful for today. He got behind the pulpit and he prayed, Lord, we are grateful that it always isn't like this. Amen. That's something to be grateful for. It's not always like this. Sometimes it's better. Sometimes it's much better. Amen. No matter how bad life gets in the bad times, you can say, thank you, Lord. It's not always like this. If you have your Bibles today, Hebrews chapter 12. Amen. My attempt at humor Having fallen flat, we will move to the Word of the Lord. Amen. <laughs> Are you thankful for the goodness of God? Amen. I'm thankful for the Holy Ghost. Thankful for God's great salvation. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews is a book of faith in Jesus Christ. It is a book that is written. The author writes to thee. Hebrews, hello, to the Hebrews. They are people that have come out uh, from under the law. They have found a saving faith in Jesus Christ, but they are struggling with going back to the ways of the law. The writer of the book of Hebrews writes to them and explains to them how much greater Jesus is. Chapter 1, he says he's greater than the angels. He moves on. He says he's greater than the law. He's greater than the sanctuary. He's greater than the prophets. He's greater than Abraham. He's greater than Moses. Chapter 11, we find the roll call of the faithful. Those who have been faithful to God in spite of circumstances, they have chosen to walk a walk of faith, to live a life of faith. In spite of never having attained, they never got to see, they never got to know Jesus Christ. They never got to see their hope fulfilled. The writer writes to them beginning in Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1, because of them in chapter 11, wherefore seeing we are also we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. We, we know that sin besets us, but sometimes there are weights. My daughter, my youngest daughter married a guy from Oregon, we were up there from for for their wedding, and I, I got a little bit enamored with this. Uh, they have a a thing, and if you're into this thing, you probably understand and know what, what I'm talking about. It's called the Pacific Coast Trail. Anybody ever heard of the Pacific Coast Trail? Well, that's good. You learned something today. There is a trail in the Western United States, Brother Grant, that runs from the border of Mexico into Canada. A continuous trail. And there are people who like, obviously, to hike and camp, who walk that trail every year from one border to the other. And they've got a little Facebook page, and and they're they're kind of because I'm just, it's almost inconceivably, uh, or inconceivable to me that somebody would walk that far. Well, Grant, we have vehicles and horses. Why would you want to walk that far? But they do, and they like it, and they enjoy it. But I, I find somebody's constantly asking the question, what do I need to do to lighten my pack, to lighten my load? If I'm going to walk over a 1,000 miles, I want to be sure that I've got the best chance of making it, and I want my load to be as light as possible. I don't want to carry anything unnecessary on my journey. 
The writer of Hebrews said, we got some weights that we need to lay aside. We're carrying around a whole lot of things in life that are unnecessary. They distract us. They hinder us. Let us lay aside not only the, the sin, we know that's harmful, but also the weight that does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience. That word patience would be better translated, and he is in more modern English versions as endurance or steadfastness. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How in the world are we going to do that? Real simple. Verse number 2 begins by saying, Looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, the joy, the cross is joy, yes, for the joy that was set before him, despising the shame of the cross, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Real simple subject today, and I promise you I'm not going to make a marathon out of it. I'll have you here out of here eating lunch before you even have a chance to get hungry. But I want to talk to you for... Just a few minutes this afternoon, this thought, looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. Lord, would you help us in the remaining few moments of this service today? God, would you reach in by your mighty power and would you touch the hearts, the minds of your people? Remind us of some great truths of your word. Lord, open our understanding. Let us see and understand. Lord, let us step by faith into your promise and into your perfect will for our lives. God, I pray that your spirit would walk the aisles of this assembly this afternoon. Touch every individual that's walked through the doors of the assembly today. God, let us leave strengthened and encouraged by your great spirit, O Lord. God, let us not walk out the door of this place carrying any weight that would hinder us God but as we have the opportunity let us take the time to lay aside every weight everything that would hinder everything that would keep us from running with endurance this race that we have set before us Lord we want to make it to the very end and by your strength and by your help we will do so in Jesus name somebody said in Jesus name Oh, louder one more time. In Jesus' name, would you clap your hands again to the Lord? Give God the praise and the glory. God is good. God is good. God is good. God is good. Hallelujah. 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 Praise the name of the Lord. Amen. You can be seated if you'll promise me that you will connect and tune in for the next few moments of time. Good. Amen. That looks like about 100%. Amen. Everybody's going to connect and tune in to what the Spirit of the Lord would say. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. You believe in Jesus, just shout amen real quick. Today, if you are not 100% in love with the Lord, Jesus the Christ, I hope before we leave this building that you draw a little closer to Him. The Word of God makes us a promise. James 4 and 8 tells us that if we will draw nigh unto Him, He will draw nigh unto us. Let me give you a little bit of insight into the very near future today. If you're a note taker, you can write this down. My introduction is about Jesus. My message is about Jesus. My conclusion and the altar call today is going to be about Jesus. 
So just so you know, so you can start thinking that direction. I, I believe that Jesus wants to do a work in our midst today. I know it's all good people, perfect people, the, I mean holy people here today. Nobody came through the doors with a problem or situation in your life. And if that's the case, let me just preach to a spirit today. Amen. I believe that Jesus wants to do a work in our midst today. Paul writes in his first letter to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 1 and 23, he said, We preach Christ crucified. In chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he writes, I didn't come to you with excellency of speech or wisdom, but I came preaching the testimony of God. What's that? Jesus Christ and Him crucified. In 2 Corinthians 4 and 5, to the same people, he declares, For we preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ the Lord. I'm not the Apostle Paul today in case someone was mistakenly wondering, but I do think he's a good example to follow. I came today to preach Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus the Lord. Amen. In fact, why don't we, and you can remain standing, just take a moment and and by way of plugging in and connecting, lift our hands and voices and offer a sacrifice of praise one more time as you think about the goodness of God, the sweetness of the Lord today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen, 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 amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Looking unto Jesus. Maybe a little bit of an odd illustration, but here it is. The human eye, think about your eyeball. The human eye is an engineering marvel. It's difficult for me to understand how someone could consider something as complex as the human eye and still not believe in an omniscient creator. I don't understand that. I can't figure that out. From the website, the community eye care specialist, it says the human eye is a marvel of built-in engineering, combining reflected light, lens imaging capability, multiple lighting adjustment, and information processing, all in the space of your eyeball. When working properly, the human eye converts light into impulses that are conveyed to the brain and interpreted as images. Someone said that common sense would tell us where there's a design, there's a designer. I, I I don't understand all the complex working of the eyeball. It seems to me like sight and vision from from where I stand, I am looking out to the congregation. But in reality, you are uh, uh, interpreted by my eyeball and the, the impulses are sent to my brain from light that is coming in. I, I think vision's like a... A flashlight. You get in a dark room, you turn on the light, the light shines out. But that's not really the way the complexities of the eyeball work. It is from light coming in. And all of that testifies to a great and wonderful creator. And we understand that vision is a blessing. I'm thankful that I can see. Can't see as good as I used to, but I, I'm thankful that I can see. Amen. As I get older, I, I, I learn. I used to couldn't see far off. Now I can't see up close or far off. Our vision changed, but I'm thankful that I can see. I'm, I'm thankful for my vision. Vision is really more than just the ability to see. Proper vision is the ability to see clearly. To function at your highest level, 
you and I not only need to be able to see, but to focus. We need to be able to see clearly. Mark chapter 8 tells us the story of the blind man brought to Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus touched him. Jesus spit on him. And his first touch gave him sight. Can you see? He said, I see men as trees walking about. Jesus said, okay, now you can see. Go your way. Rejoice in your healing. No, he didn't. Jesus said, come here. I need to touch you again. You need another touch. You need one more touch. Just because you can see, just because you have vision does not mean you are functioning at your highest level. You need to be able to see clearly. The ability to see men as trees or people as just objects is not really the way that God created us. We need to be able to see with definition, with focus, with clarity. Jesus touched him again and gave him that clarity a vision. Don't be afraid to seek that second touch. Sometimes we pray for revelation and God gives it to us, but we're not really clear about what's going on. Pray one more time. Let Jesus touch you again. Don't be afraid to ask for that second touch. I believe that we have enough biblical precedents to convince us that the natural mirrors the spiritual. Can you say amen? We call them types and shadows. Jesus used them in his parables. The analogy is not lost on the child of God. We understand that it's not just God's desire that we can see the things of the Spirit, but also that we may understand with clarity uh, not just that he is, but the intricacies of his love and his mercy and his grace for us. And his desire, I said his desire for us to spend eternity with Him in His presence. When you were learning to drive, you don't have to spend a whole lot of time thinking about it, but perhaps somebody told you that something very important is to look where you're going. I don't, my mother taught me how to drive. I, can't, I, I, I wish I had a nickel for every time she said, Son, look where you're going. Sometimes when people are learned to walk, learning to walk, we have to say, look where you're going. Sometimes when you're shopping in Walmart, you have to say to somebody, look where you're going. It's important that we look where we're going, that we look where we are going because we have a natural tendency to go where we are looking. If you're not careful, my wife accuses me, Brother Grant, I know your wife never accused you of this, but if we're out in the country, my wife accuses me of hunting while I'm driving. She says, you don't miss a deer in a field. He may be 100 yards in the woods, and you're going to see him. Consequently, I don't always stay exactly between the lines. I ride the zippers frequently. It's okay. I, I'm, I'm here. God's protected me, kept me. I've, I've scared a few angels half to death, but it's all right. God's still good. Amen. We have a tendency to look where we're going. If we're looking off the side of the road, sometimes we have a tendency to drift that way or we have a tendency to, to, to go where we are looking. Clear vision is necessary to be able to function properly. You, you need to be able to see clearly what is ahead of you and to look. We, we sometimes get distracted by the things of this world and we go where we're looking and we have to find our way back to the right road. 
I read a story a few days ago about a man and his 11-year-old son. They were hiking in a large wilderness area. I believe it was in the state of Colorado. And they came to a river, and they were looking in the river, looking for something, and, and somehow his, his glasses fell from his face and fell into the rushing water of the river. He, he wasn't completely blind, but he couldn't see very well, at least without any measure of clarity, without his glasses. They instantly realized what had happened, and he and his son both jumped into the water of the river to look for his glasses, and to no avail, they could not find them. And somehow, as they searched uh, for his lost glasses, they got separated. And his son, he couldn't find his son, and, and, and they had to be rescued. Some days later, they were found in the wilderness. Here was this man who was an experienced hiker. He had been there before. He knew where he was. He had walked those trails before. But because somehow he lost his ability to focus and see clearly, he had to be rescued. Vision, clarity is important. When, when I lose my, my clarity, landmarks don't look the same, but the, the trail becomes unclear. Vision is important. I've probably told you the story before. Uh, many years ago, my wife and I were preaching in the state of Alaska, and one of the men in the church there, a friend of their family, had a very large fishing boat on, on the bay, a nice, big, beautiful 54-foot cabin cruiser that they used to charter fishing trips, and he was uh, wanted to take us for a boat ride, and it was, uh, it was in the fall. It was September there, but it was already cold and windy, and, and it would have been winter to us. But we got on that, that cruiser when we pulled out of the marina there into the bay. And the wind came up and the waves began to rise and the swells there uh, that day were uh, four, five, six feet. And somebody that's not used to being on a boat, that's, that's pretty choppy. That's, uh, that's, that'll make you seasick in a hurry. And as the, the group of us were there, as the waves began to batter that little boat uh, about, we, we quickly began, our stomachs began to turn. Brother Ross was the owner of the boat, and he uh, one at a time he, he asked, he said, you know, you want to get rid of that sickness, and of course we were all eager to do so, and he had the remedy for that. He called us one at a time. He, he called me, he said, come up here to the front, and he called me up into to the cabin. I, he set me in the cabin's chair, and, and man, it had one of those big ship's wheels, you know, one of the, the big round ones with the, with the thing sticking out. Sit right here in this chair. I'm going to let you drive the ship. Let me show you how to drive a ship in a storm. Sat down in the chair and said, put your hands on the wheel about like you do when you're driving. One at about 11 o'clock, one, one hand at about 1 o'clock or 2 and 10, right in that area somewhere. He said, now look out the windshield. He said, as far as you can see in the distance, he said, you see there is land. That's where we're going. He said, focus your attention on your destination. He said, and steer the ship toward the destination. And Brother Grant, within three minutes, I wasn't sick anymore. The seasickness was gone. As I focused, and I, I focused on keeping the ship going the right direction. Now, the science behind that is that you focus your attention on something that's stable. 
something that's secure, not on the waves that are doing this and the boat that's doing this. You focus your attention. But the theology of that is if you'll focus your attention on your destination and if you'll focus your attention on the stability of Jesus Christ, my rock, friend of mine, the problems that you thought you had, you will soon see that most of them are just all in your imagination and you'll make the journey with less trouble. Amen. Vision is important. Clarity of vision. The ability to be able to see. Looking unto Jesus. The NIV says fixing our eyes on Jesus. The Young's literal translation says looking to Jesus. The, the, the Orthodox Jewish Bible says fixing your gaze on Jesus. The Amplified Bible says focusing our eyes on Jesus. I don't think there's any disagreement in the ranks of scholars and historians that the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell us that a key to our spiritual success is to focus our attention on Jesus Christ. In fact, the Amplified Version includes the phrase looking away from all that distracts us focusing uh, our eyes on Jesus. Somebody say distractions. I'm going to hit this and pass on quickly. Distractions do not hinder us from God. Distractions do not hinder what God is doing. They hinder what God is doing in us. Well, glory. They keep God from not doing what He's doing. They keep Him from doing what He's doing in us. What distractions do you bring to church? Rhetorical question, don't raise your hand. What distractions do you bring to church? In your hand, in your mind. Wouldn't it pay us and serve us well to rid ourselves of the distractions? Looking unto Jesus. I want to see Jesus clearly. I want to see Jesus clearly. I need a revelation of Jesus Christ. I need to know who He is. From the very beginning, God began revealing Himself to His creation, humanity. God reveals Himself to us through His Word and by His character. His attributes and abilities are demonstrated by what, is, uh, by what He is called. By what he is called in. in Genesis 22, when Abraham took his promise, Isaac up the mountain to offer him to God, Abraham declared, God will provide himself a sacrifice. Although Abraham might not have known it at the moment, the statement that he made in faith spoke of both the immediate need and the future plan of God. When God provided the sacrifice and met the need, Abraham, the Bible says, called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh. The Lord is my provider. It was a revelation of who God is. God is my provider. When I need provision, God is there for me. He is my provider. In Exodus chapter 15, here's God. He's revealing himself to us. When God miraculously healed the bitter waters of Marah, when the children of Israel, they'd come out of Egypt, they were traversing through the wilderness, they came to a place they desperately needed water. They came tomorrow. The waters were bitter. He told God, told Moses what to do, and Moses did it, and God healed those bitter waters. 
God told the children of Israel, He said, if you'll serve me and if you'll obey me, I'll heal you just like I healed the waters. They said, okay. And God revealed Himself to them there that day. God said, I will be your Jehovah Rapha, the Lord your healer. When I need provision, He is my Jehovah Jireh. When I need healing, He is my Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals me. Exodus 17, hang on, we're going somewhere by the strong arm of God's help. The people of God overcame the Amalekites. You remember the story, Moses sitting on the hill. When he raises his hand, they win. When his arms get tired and fall, they begin to lose. Somebody comes up and gets him by the arm, raises up his arms. God fights and wins the battle for them that day. Moses built an altar in that place. The Bible says, and he called the name of it Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is my banner. What does that mean? Well, the army of the United States fights under a banner called the flag. That flag identifies them as the army of the United States of America. That flag says to every enemy, this army has the full backing of the government and the people of the United States of America. They have the best that we have to offer to defeat you. Jehovah is my banner. It identifies me to my enemy. It says that's my kid and he's got everything that he needs to defeat you. I will fight for him. I will conquer for him. I will be his victory. I am his Jehovah Nisi. Amen. The 23rd Psalm. Jehovah Ra'ah. The Lord is my shepherd. When I need a shepherd, when I've lost my direction, he is my caretaker and my leader. Ezekiel chapter 48, the Bible, the Word of God, declares him to be Jehovah Shammah. Jehovah is present. The Lord is present. The writer of the Psalms says, God is my refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. It doesn't matter how dark the night or how deep the valley. I know and understand that even when I can't feel Him, even when He's not talking to me, I know that He is still my Jehovah Shammah. He is my present God. Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is my peace. Jehovah Sitkanu, the Lord is my righteousness. And we didn't even cover them all because of time today, but you get the point. Everything that I need, my God is able to provide. Somebody once wisely said, we spend too much time telling God about our problems when what we really should be doing is telling our problems about our God. If we would learn to look our problems in the face and say, you know what, you're not going to control me, you're not going to rule me, you're not going to dictate to me. My God is seated on the throne. He is my everything. He is in charge. He is able. I am looking to Him. Amen, Brother Moody, that's, that's good. That's all Old Testament stuff there. Hang on, it's about to get good. Matthew 1 and 23, the messenger of the Lord, an angel declares to a bewildered vessel, Joseph, his name shall be called Emmanuel, God, Jehovah, with us. Two verses later, the veil is ripped off, Matthew 1 and 25, and he called his name 
Jesus. Colossians 2 and 9, in him Jesus dwelleth all of the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Hebrews 1 and 3, he, Jesus, is the express image of God. Colossians 1 and 15, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. As an author would reveal his imagination on the canvas, it would become the image of his imagination. God said, Jesus Christ is going to be my expressed image. John 20 and 28, Thomas the disciple who had just touched the risen Savior declares of him, my Lord and my God. In Genesis 17, God appears to Abraham and declares who he is. He tells Abram, I am the Almighty. Over 150 times the Old Testament refers to the one God of Israel as the Almighty. Let me help you see him clearly here today. The book of the Revelation chapter 1. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Shama, Jehovah Sidkenu, Jehovah Ra of the old has become Jesus of the new. The prophet Isaiah, moved upon by the Spirit of God, prophesied of the incarnation of a Savior. He writes 9 and 6, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, there's going to come a Savior robed in flesh, born of a virgin, laid in a manger as an infant. But you need to realize that that Jesus that came was the incarnation, was the express image of everything that God was to Israel in the Old Testament. Amen. Can I preach to somebody in the house today that everything that you need is found in Jesus? We're talking about looking unto Jesus. Psalm 54 and 4, the Bible says, Behold, God is my helper. Psalm 121, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from which cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord. Isaiah 41 and 10, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. Oh, I'm not through. God's still talking to us. Isaiah 45 and 22, God says, Look unto me and you will be saved. Micah 7 and 8, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me, looking unto Jesus. Friend of mine, I've come to preach a very simple message to you today. Sometimes as humanity, as people living life on this earth, we've got jobs and we've got families. We've got homes. We've got things that we have to do to provide. And life has a way of distracting us, of turning our attention away. And we get going down a wrong road. But somewhere along the way, something comes along to remind us that the answer 
what we're really seeking and what we're really looking for and what we really need is Jesus. And we have to turn around looking unto Jesus and get back in the right place and get back on the right road and get back in the right situation. Amen. little three-year-old girl, her name was Laurie. Mom called out to her one evening and said, Laurie, it's time to go get undressed and get ready for bed. Little Laurie obediently goes upstairs to her room. After a few minutes, Mom hears a little voice call out and says, Mom, I need some help. Mom is busy. She says to Laurie, Laurie, now we know how to undress ourselves, don't we? Little Laurie said, yes, but sometimes we still need some help. We know what to do. We know how to live. We know the direction that we need to be going, but sometimes we still need some help. Sometimes we still have to look to Jesus. It's not an embarrassment. It's not anything to be ashamed of. We just have to look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Stand with me, if you will. I'm going to draw it to a close. I don't know your situation and circumstance today. I don't know what you brought in your pack of life to the house of God today. Don't know what's in your mind, your home, your family. But I do know that the answer is looking unto Jesus, no matter what the situation and the circumstance. Friend of mine, let me just talk to you for a few minutes this afternoon. If you need strength in your life, you can look to Jesus. If you need direction, if your hope is gone, if you need encouragement, if you need your faith to be uplifted, looking unto Jesus. Perhaps in life, we all do it. Sometimes we we get confused, disoriented, discouraged, looking unto Jesus. Touch, Lord, I, I need a touch in my mind, in my spirit, in my body, in my emotions today, looking unto Jesus. Bible says, and Peter pens those beautiful words, 1 Peter 5 and 7, casting your cares upon Him, for He careth for you. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. In life's walk, sometimes I get weary. Sometimes I get stressed out. Sometimes I don't know where the answer is or where it's going to come from. But the truth of the matter is I don't have to figure it out. All I've got to do is look up and get a hold of the hand of the Savior. Looking unto Jesus, it doesn't matter how it comes or how He works it out. Well, I need God to deliver me from the storm. The answer may not be God taking you out. The answer may be God walking with you through. But I know that either way it's going to be all right because I'm looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. A few years ago, perhaps you'll remember the story. Very famous, influential singer. I will say that she was gifted of God. She's not per se known as a gospel singer, but very, very beautiful voice of 
tremendous way of expressing herself in song. We know now her very Christian. I don't know her relationship or walk with God. I'm not here to judge that today. We know that she was at least brought up and raised in a Christian environment where she was taught the Word of God but moved away from that as so many celebrities do. Singers we see that have a church background that move into other areas. But she had a beautiful voice and a beautiful way of expressing herself in in song. One of her final recordings was of a song that had a very religious tent. She was very famous. She was very well known. Some months after she released the song, which, by the way, became, as I understand it and as I have read, one of her, one of her top charting, so if not her highest charted song ever, it was one. It was very close to the top. Another very famous, influential lady, very wealthy, very influential, and in, in those ranks by the name of Oprah Winfrey interviewed her. She asked her, she said, who? The song that you sang that has risen so high, who was it addressed to? Who did you sing that to? She smiled and with a twinkle in her eye, she said, Oprah, somebody bigger than you or I. Song, you will remember it probably, very simply titled, sung by a lady by the name of Whitney Houston. says, I look to you. When all my strength is gone and you, I can be strong, I look to you. In that song, she talks about the struggles that most of us understand to be what her life had become. How she dealt and battled with so many things, but still somewhere deep in her heart of hearts, she knew the answer is looking to Jesus. I don't have the ability to fix it. I can't make it work out on my own. All I can do is, Lord, I look to you. I look to you, Jesus. When my world is crashing down, when everything is caving in on me, I look to you. You can look up the lyrics to the song if you like. You you can feel the heart felt expression of desire and, and need for God in that song as she sings with passion, I look to you. I don't know. I think that one of the reason it became a top charting song was because there is something in the heart of God created humanity that recognizes I need you, Jesus. This altar is open. If you want to come and spend some time in prayer, it's five minutes after 12. If the roast is in the oven, We'll pray that it don't burn. This altar today is open for anybody and everybody, two people in particular, though those that perhaps need to refocus, uh, that need to come and stand before the Lord and say, Lord, I've been distracted lately. Jobs, hobbies, worries, situations and circumstances, but today uh, I'm bringing my clarity of vision and my focus back into you. I look to you, Jesus. 
and those that have things in their lives that they don't have the ability to cope with. I don't want to tell anybody it might embarrass me. I might be ashamed, but the truth of the matter is uh, I know that if I will look to Jesus, uh, He may not fix it like I think He ought to, when He ought to, how He ought to, but if I'll get a hold of His hand, He'll carry me through. I'll make it out the other side. I'm going to look to Jesus. I'm going to look to Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Lord, I know You are able. God, You see every need that has been brought to the altar today. God, each and every one that has come in faith, knowing that You are able, knowing that You are able to touch and to help and to strengthen, our hope is in You, God. Lord, we're only going to make it by the help and the strength that we get from You. But we know that You give in abundance and You give willingly, O Lord. I'm here today before Your very throne declaring that I need You. I look to You. I'm not looking to answers from the government. I'm not looking to answers from Hollywood. I'm not looking to answers from friends and family, Lord. I look to You. I look to You. Touch, Lord, by Your mighty power. Oh, sweet Jesus, sweet Jesus, call out to Him today. He hears, He will answer. He is an ever-present help in time of trouble. He is my help. He is my shepherd. He is my guard and my God. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, 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 what a wonder you Jesus, what a wonder you are. Jesus, 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 what a wonder you are. Jesus, 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 what a wonder you are. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. What a wonder you are, oh Jesus, what a wonder you are. Rose of Sharon, what a wonder you are, beautiful rose of Sharon, what a What a wonder you are, Jesus, 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 what a wonder you are, Jesus, 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 what a wonder you are, oh Jesus, what a What a wonder you are, beautiful 
thinking when Brother Moody was preaching a little while ago, he mentioned something about learning how to drive, and so I got under conviction immediately. 
because a few days ago, Tyler Lusty and Christopher were in the truck with me, and I was faced with a certain traffic situation. And I looked at him and I said, don't do like I do. Knocked it off. That happened three or four times during the day. He said, well, why would you do that? Because I'm a terrible example, I guess. But I wanted to get to where I was going. But I made sure, do not drive like this. Obey the traffic laws. There are a few more reasons. Number one. I've been driving since I was 15 years old. You say, well, did you have a driver's license? I don't remember, but I've been driving since I was 15. It was a different day and time. Then I became a professional driver. I drove for 20 years professionally. Since then, I've had 30 years of driving very non-professionally. This happened a few weeks ago. A policeman pulled me over. Highway Patrol pulled me over in Moss Hill. He said, sir, I pulled you over. I just want to ask you, are you okay? I said, yeah, why? He said, well, you're kind of weaving. I said, ah, I'm just a bad driver. He said, okay, well, have a good day. Policemen don't like to give me tickets. And then sometimes when they pull me over, when they walk up there, I say, you wouldn't give the preacher a ticket, would you? And they may give me a scolding. They may give me a warning. But they don't hardly give me a ticket. Guilt is the gift that keeps on giving. And I, and I, what I was saying to these boys, don't drive out like I do, because you're not going to get away with it. Because you're young and you're frisky looking, and they'll give you a ticket. But when you're old and washed up and beat down looking, and you tell them you're a preacher and you look kind of sad, they won't give you a ticket. God bless you. Let's stand together. I hope you're having happy holidays and you had a good Thanksgiving and you love the Lord and you love your family. Amen. I ask. I asked Logan a while ago, I said, have you been a good boy? Oh, 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 yeah. Brother Moody said, oh, he's a good boy, good boy. I said, well, you're getting a lot of stuff for Christmas. He grinned. Well, somebody told Annie, our grandbaby, last week that she really needed, you know, Santa Claus watching you, and you need to be good if you're going to give And she said, I don't know. I've been bad for a long time. <laughs> God bless you, whether you've been bad a long time or you've been good. I love you anyway. You're dismissed. Shake hands and be friendly.